Welcome to 1075, Shortage on the Colorado River, a podcast series by the Climate Assessment for the Southwest that explores what the first shortage declaration on the Colorado River would mean to those living in the Southwest. I'm Zach Guido, CLEMA staff scientist, and in today's episode, we'll speak with Dennis Rule. Dennis is manager of the Central Arizona Groundwater Replenishment District. Okay, Dennis, well, thanks for joining us today. Um, we're, we're interested in understanding the nuances of water supply here in Arizona and, and particularly how that may pertain to a, or be altered by or not a, a shortage declaration on the Colorado River. But I think before getting into that question, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about the Central Arizona Groundwater Replenishment District, what it does and, and your role there? Certainly. Uh, well, I am the manager of the CAGRD, as we call it. Um, the the role of the groundwater replenishment district is effectively within the, the context of groundwater management in Arizona is for those municipal water providers or those municipal uses of water that do not have access to renewable supplies such as Central Arizona Project Water or Salt River Project Water. Uh, either they don't have access to those supplies at all, they don't have enough of those supplies to meet their total needs, or potentially they don't have direct access to those supplies. So they might have a CAP allocation, but they don't have a water treatment plant to where they can actually directly use it within their service area. What the groundwater replenishment district does, it is allows those entities to pump groundwater, and then we have the obligation to replenish that groundwater that they previously pumped, and that makes their groundwater pumping consistent with the groundwater management um, within the AMA of Arizona. Does that make sense? Yeah, so how does that actually work? I mean, are is there water being delivered from where, first of all, and, and where, and how does it actually get back into the ground? On, on the water provider side of it, uh, we have either member service areas, which is a, it's either a city or a town that has a water utility or a private water company that join as a member of this groundwater replenishment district or we have what are called individual member lands, and those are individual subdivisions that are within another water provider's service area that join as a member of the groundwater replenishment district. Once they join, they are required to annually report to us, the, the district, how much groundwater they pumped um, that is a technical term called excess groundwater, but how much groundwater they pumped that we need to replenish. So they report those quantities to us every year. We go through a calculation um, based on our rates uh, for the replenishment functions that we perform. And we're responsible for uh, billing them uh, and using the money that we collect from them to purchase other supplies, um, we have um, our own CAP subcontract water. We have credits that we can purchase, long-term storage credits. 
uh, effluent supplies, other supplies that we actually purchase and put uh, into the ground uh, through, generally speaking, through recharge projects, um, direct recharge projects or groundwater savings projects with agricultural users that offset that groundwater pumping that, that they have done previously. So we have a three-year time period within which to offset their pumping. And so does this operate f- like across Arizona or are there only certain places where the sort of groundwater replenishment occurs and that people can actually draw, draw from? Uh, our service area is across the three uh, central and southern Arizona active management areas, the Phoenix active management area, the Pinal, and the Tucson active management area. So we only operate within those three areas. Okay. And is the water – so basically you're bringing water from where it exists to, to replenish where really the, the demand is, is highest and where the, the supply – you know, without bringing water in, might be limited. Is that a is that a fair characterization of of, of what actually happened? So I, I'm I'm getting the picture that water is sort of moving around, you know, this state and and from other states as well to to places that it's needed. Well, that's that's effectively what happens. But in uh, before uh, either a member service area or a member land can join the replenishment district. They have to demonstrate to the state of Arizona that they have a uh, physically available groundwater supply sufficient to meet their needs over the next 100 years. So they actually have a physical supply of groundwater available. They may not have surface water available or they may not have enough surface water available to meet their needs, but they do have physical availability of groundwater. So they have demonstrated that they have a water supply the issue under the Groundwater Management Act is that there is a, uh, a strict limitation on the amount of groundwater that a municipal water provider can pump and be consistent with the Groundwater Management Act, particularly the active management area goal, uh, which for uh, the Phoenix and the Tucson active management areas is safe yield. So while they have a physical supply of groundwater available, it's not consistent with the goal of safe yield in those areas. But because we are able to acquire other supplies and replenish into the same aquifer that they pump from, we are able to make, uh, basically by offsetting their pumping, we make it consistent with the, the goal. So net, they are not mining groundwater because we replenish it after after they pump it. Oh, I see. And so obviously there would be monitoring, uh, widespread monitoring that would t- – I mean the goal here is to keep the groundwater sort of at a quasi-stationary you know, volume or, or, or level. And is, is that sort of what's, what's going on? Well, under the assured water supply rules um, – they have to demonstrate that the, um, the, the the members, the groundwater replenishment district members, have to demonstrate that the depth of groundwater wouldn't exceed uh, a thousand feet depth of groundwater over a hundred years, if they were to 
uh, pump groundwater to meet their needs for that entire period. So we don't actually, our replenishment isn't necessarily directly tied to the water levels uh, within the aquifer or within specific areas of the aquifer, but because we are required to replenish within the same aquifer, uh, the same active management area that the pumping occurs, effectively there's a net balance uh, on the groundwater. So there may be some groundwater declines in some areas, uh, but the overall approach is uh, basically a, a mass balance within the aquifer. And so this began more or less in uh, ni- 1993, if I read that correctly? Yes. Yes, that was when the Groundwater Replenishment District was created. And so was it instigated by um, any sort of – was there an impetus to this, or was it just sort of a co- the collective wisdom about, well, we better manage you know, our, the common groundwater a little bit better, or, or were people witnessing sort of the, the decrease and, and uh, perhaps uh, – quality changes in in the groundwater well it was it was really an outgrowth of the assured water supply program that was developed by the Department of Water Resources by the state at that point um, the state uh, developed a essentially a set of rules that govern specifically municipal water providers to ensure, again, consistency with the groundwater management goal of the active management area. So under those assured water supply rules, water providers were not allowed to just continue to pump groundwater. They had very limited quantities of groundwater that they could pump, which effectively meant that they had to have access to alternative water supplies, either, again, um, Central Arizona Project water or potentially Salt River Project water. The, the problem really occurred, or a problem occurred, um, as the Department of Water Resources was developing those rules, that the entitlements to both CAP and SRP water had already been set uh, previously. Uh, SRP water has SRP has a service area within which they serve. If you're not within that service area, you don't have access to that water. Central Arizona Project water had a an allocation process where certain parties, uh, certain water providers, got a subcontract for a quantity of water. So for entities that didn't have access to either one of those water supplies, um, they potentially didn't have any opportunity for future economic growth and development. They couldn't expand their service area. Um, After that issue was uh, brought up during the process of ADWR developing the assured water supply rules, um, the department and others started looking at a replenishment um, mechanism to allow these other parties that didn't have CAP water or SRP water but did have physical access to groundwater to allow them to use that groundwater for growth and development so long as that groundwater was replenished. Hmm. And it was through probably a 
two to three year process between the Department of Water Resources and the water providers and the development and home building community and the economic development industry that the concept of the groundwater replenishment district evolved um, and then was put into statute. Huh. So it's a fairly sophisticated approach to water management, which seems pretty pretty necessary for, for this part of the country. But how much of the water um, that is used here in Arizona is is goes through the groundwater replenishment district, and it, I guess how much of it is 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 used by or for groundwater? Well, actually, the groundwater replenishment district members right now uh, really do not use a, a, a significant amount of groundwater. Our total replenishment obligation now is approximately 35,000 acre feet per year, and that is for all three of the active members within all three of the active management areas. So um, in the context of the total municipal usage within those three AMAs, we're uh, actually a, a very small percentage of that. The municipal users, they're pumping more than 35,000 acre feet. Is that is that correct? Uh, they are overall. Uh, our members, uh, again, um, the amount that they uh, report that need, has to be replenished is this is 35,000 acre feet. They do have, uh, under the assured water supply rules, both they and other water providers have a limited amount of groundwater that they are able to use that is consistent with the management goal. Okay. Um, but the, the majority of the groundwater use um, has to be replenished for our members. For other water providers, they're, uh, again, um, they do have rights to pump some groundwater um, under the assured water supply rules um, and to varying degrees depending upon how their systems work they utilize some of that water uh, a lot of them um, hold on to that uh, amount of groundwater that they're allowed to pump for future uses um, there are some uh, water providers that do what's called annual storage and recovery where they, re they themselves recharge CAP water and they pump groundwater in another location, but they're effectively doing the same thing that the replenishment district is doing. They're pumping groundwater, but they're replenishing that. And is that what goes on in, in, in Tucson? That's what Tucson does, yes. So they Tucson gets a lot of their water from from CAP. Um, CA, CAP is that water. Part of that water is is infiltrating and replenishing part of the the groundwater, which which Tucson actively pumps out, and it's sort of balancing its water budget in in that way. Yeah, yeah. And and, and so that that brings up um, a nice segue into talking a little bit about about CAP because part of what we're interested in is uh, there is speculation that the Colorado River uh, may go into sort of its first shortage declaration, which which um, reduces water allocations to certain certain water users in in Arizona and CAP. We explored this in a in a podcast not too long ago, and CAP may be one of the ones that takes the first. Um, uh, 
uh, first reduction in supply. So to what extent would a shortage uh, impact uh, the Central Arizona Groundwater Replenishment District, I guess, in general? Well, the the um, as I believe you probably covered in the previous podcast, there are um, uh, kind of sequential uh, shortage shortages depending upon uh, elevations in Lake Mead. Sequential. Um, deeper shortages in order to to offset the the drop in in Lake Mead. The first um, level would reduce Arizona's entitlement by about 320,000 acre feet, most of which would be a reduction to Central Arizona project. Um, That amount of reduction would essentially eliminate what is called the excess CAP water pool. Not all of the CAP water that is under subcontract is actually being put to use. So there is a pool of excess that is available for other water users to use. Right now, that excess pool is being used primarily by um, the Arizona Water Banking Authority to store water uh, to firm for uh, future shortages against Central Arizona project allocations to municipal users. Um, So that first shortage would uh, reduce or or actually eliminate the availability of excess water to the water bank. Um, The groundwater replenishment district uh, does use some excess water uh, in order to accomplish our replenishment. Under the first tier of shortage, we would also lose that amount of excess water. So then we would turn to other supplies that we have in order to work, accomplish our replenishment. We have a, a large number of long-term storage credits in the ground already. Uh, that are in place specifically for the event that some of our supplies might not be available in any given year, and then we will use those long-term storage credits to offset our replenishment obligation. So a shortage for the groundwater replenishment district, the first tier of shortage would eliminate some of the CAP water that we are using for our replenishment obligations, but we have, similar to the water bank, we have a bank of credits in the ground already that we will be able to use to offset our obligation even under a shortage. So a shortage, it seems like, may not initially impact um, the replenishment district sort of functions initially, but would it change the way water is thought about? I mean, would it change the sort of strategic planning at all? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that it would necessarily change the way that we think about it uh, ourselves because we are um, more than aware of the potential for shortage and, uh, and we're constantly preparing for that. With the public, um, I think obviously it, it would, uh, just a shortage declaration, I think, even though it doesn't, it is unlikely to directly affect um, at least the municipal 
water supplies. It will not directly affect the municipal water supplies under a first-tier shortage. I think it will um, impact the public psyche, the public perception of water supply. Hmm. So do you think then that there is this sort of mismatch in perception between, let's say, the public and and, and also how um, water supply can be dealt with in sort of a a, a changing supply landscape? Is there a misperception there? Well, I, I think to the extent that there might be a misperception, there, there may, there's probably not a good understanding in the public of things that uh, entities like the Arizona Water Banking Authority have done in order to prepare for shortages on the, on the Colorado River. Um, the banking authority has stored hundreds of thousands, millions of acre feet of, uh, of water uh, underground uh, just exactly for the occurrence of a shortage in the Central Arizona project system. So when a shortage, a deep enough shortage occurs to where it would potentially impact municipal water users that have the CAP subcontracts, those storage, that stored water will be used uh, in order to ensure that there are, aren't interruptions in physical water supply to the municipal users. Um, there will be an operational impact on the Central Arizona project. There will be uh, cost impacts um, for water users, but um, for now, uh, the direct impact of uh, even higher-tiered shortages as far as the physical availability of water to the municipal users will, will not really, you will not see an impact from that. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because I think one of the perceptions is that uh, there isn't enough water here in, in, the, in the southwest. And so I'm wondering if... Um, how do you think about the sort of arid west, the moving all of this water around from from different places? How do, how do you think about the challenges and and the opportunities? Well, I mean, there certainly are challenges uh, for water management. Um, I think we've uh, put in place a, a lot of institutional mechanisms within the state of Arizona to to respond to those challenges. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that there are are um, no potential impacts into the future. Um, the question is, particularly when it comes to the Colorado River, um, how deep and how long, how prolonged are the shortages? Um, certainly, for the near term, um, there has been sufficient storage of, of backup water, of banked water, uh, to respond to those shortages for several decades to come. Uh, but as water managers, we're always looking decades and decades out into the future. So I think we're in a continuous process of adjusting our management mechanisms to the realities of of the water supply, um, so it's a. I, I mean, the way I would look at it, it's it's an ongoing process. 
it's an ongoing challenge. Um, I don't think we see a physical availability issue in the near term. What we really have are management challenges to ensure that we have reliable supplies for the long term. As far as um, our operations at the Central Arizona Project, a, a shortage will impact our operations. Um, to the extent that we have fewer acre-feet of water in the canal over which to distribute our fixed costs, it's going to increase the per-acre-foot cost to our customers. And, and what, what, do you th- what do you think would be the sort of cascading impacts from that? Would, would your customers respond in a, in a way that would, that would change how you, you guys manage? Or is that to be determined? Well, well I think, I think um, you know, our customers, which are really the water providers, um, I mean, they will respond to that. But it, it really comes down to their customers, the end users. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we've seen recently uh, because of the economic downturn is that all of the water providers have actually seen a substantially reduced uh, water usage within their service areas, and not just uh, because of fewer homes being occupied, but really their existing customers are using less and less water uh, because of of cost. Not so much uh, at this point because of the actual cost of the water, but because of the cost relative to their income. Um, so I think as the cost of water itself increases because of shortages, that you'll see continuing savings uh, among the municipal end users in response to that. I mean, certainly there is a, a, a fair amount of uh, demand elasticity in response to price. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I did want to end with uh, just one one final question. I'm curious: is is a um, shortage declaration something that you all talk about often in in, in your offices, or is it sort of a um, just sort of a passing comment? Oh, it's a, a daily topic of, uh, of a considerable amount of discussion. Um, you know, we're we're very well aware that. Um, there is a, uh, a significant probability of a shortage declaration uh, as early as 2017, um, and uh, you know we're engaged in discussions uh, about the implications of that, about responses to that, about um, what we need to do uh, on our end to manage that. Um, like I say, on a, on a daily basis. So it's um, it's certainly something that is front and center in um, in our consciousness, in our planning. Well, it's it's it's, it's interesting. At this, I, I remember going through this. Oh, I don't know what was it four years ago now. I think the the, the lake level was lower then than it than it is now. But we we got that uh, big um, winter precip up in the upper upper basin, and it's. Right. And we're kind of just getting back to where we were. Was it 2009 or was it 2010? I can't remember the actual date, but it's um, 
you know, we're, we're, it does seem to be a question of not if, but, but when, and I guess maybe we got the, you know, kicked the can down the road a little bit a couple of years ago, but, uh, you know, right. we'll see this winter with, uh, there is some speculation that an El Nino's on the way. So maybe, uh, maybe, uh, that can will be kicked further down the road. Who knows? Yeah, well, that's one thing about the Colorado River. I mean, it's an incredibly variable supply. Uh, so you, you really never know from year to year um, what the water year is going gonna, is gonna to bring. Uh, but certainly with the reservoir levels uh, where they are now, uh, everyone along the river is aware that uh, potentially uh, we're on, on the verge of a shortage declaration in the, in the lower basin. Well, thanks a lot, Dennis. I don't want to take any more of your time. It's It's been great talking with you. I could ask you probably another 10, 20 questions, but uh, we, you know, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.